You're listening to Carnage House Productions. Two, one. Boys and girls, welcome back to The Wrap, your weekly news source. Wrapping it all up and gifting it to you with a nice little ribbon on top, eh? Wrap number 29 this week. Not much significance to the number, but we we keep pushing on, eh? It's one before 30. It's last year before... Um, You're not allowed to go to the nightclubs anymore when you hit 30. That's what I've heard. Who you been hearing that from? Just it's word on the grapevine, If eh? anything, I've noticed that when I've been out, I've seen more older gentlemen. Older gentlemen. A lot more older women as well. Well, Dougal thinks you shouldn't be allowed to ride a skateboard past age 30, I think it was. So uh, it's a bit, it's a big age. But you know what? We're not even on the rap thirty, so let's not get ahead of ourselves, eh? How are we doing tonight, mate? I'm going really well. Um, I've just we've expanded technologically for all our um, listeners as well as video subscribers. We're now officially on Spotify, soon to be on Google Podcasts, uh, uh, among a, I would say, uh, con- Andy's favourite word, a conglomerate of other platforms. I would have so said there's no excuse not to catch us anymore, and particularly for our premiere. Um, top of the line top class show piece of content which is the wrap so check it out make sure you stay tuned um, because there are some big things coming big things coming in terms of content as well as merch so keep your eyes peeled um, keep your 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 nose to the breeze and your cheeks to the wind as they say your ears to the door ears to the door and floor to the wall feet on the floor eh but I'm going well thanks mate yeah you do it took a while to get there but answer the question in the end how about you Dukes Mate, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Um, that's all I got to say. Keep it. We're going to keep it compact today. Compact, like a. Um, what's that Asian chick's name who does the packing? Oh, it's the Mary really famous Kondo? one. Condo. I'm not sure what her name is. Anyway, she's the one who does the packing. That's what the wraps going to be like videos. today. And you can tell us her name in the in the comments. Yeah, I'm going to Mary Condo. Oh. Good on you, mate. Uh, as per as per usual, we've got two big stories. We're talking about the bushfires in New South Wales today. We're also talking about the Bolivian coup, which uh, sure to be an, an interesting listen, I reckon. But um, for those who are familiar with the show, we don't start off with those stories. We've got a nice little segment to start called Jumping to Conclusions, where we pay homage to the wives and girlfriends who jump to conclusions without any real evidence, any real backing, they, uh, they're going through your phone type of type of females trying to expose you when you haven't done none. Haven't done Kendrick She's none. Dotties. She dotty yarns be doing that to you. So uh, I throw the conch over to Alex. What's your conclusion you know for the I'm week, gonna mate? You know I'm going to blow that ting. You know I'm going to blow it. Um, what you blowing, bro? I'm blowing the conch. Let me tell you something, gentlemen. This is my conclusion. <laughs> I want you to listen up. Japan is the most underrated country in the world. Mm. It's interesting. It's food for thought. Sushi mm. for the train. For the train home. Uh, <laughs> all right. My conclusion. My conclusion is um, chicks always look hotter in sunglasses. Just sunglasses, or yeah, any no clothes and just sunglasses. No, no, no. no as in, what about <laughs> other other spectacles? What about normal glasses, or is that no? You'd almost say that the reason why he said sunglasses was because he was referring to sunglasses in particular. I was just saying maybe you could extrapolate the data is all I was saying. And us? 
My conclusion for the week has been inspired by Dougal's outfit this evening. Um, is that you should only wear NBA jerseys or just sports jerseys of teams you support? Does Alex support Toronto? No. Well, it's on both of you then. It's on both of you. <laughs> what are you wearing, bro? This is actually a brand. This is Porto Williams. Didn't know that a team. <laughs> You're wearing a rugby jersey. <laughs> that's actually that's actually uh, grandpa's grandpa gave it to me. That's um, Norman's. Paul Norman, I think his name is. Greg Norman. Greg Norman's brand. That's right, Sharkies. Yeah. Mm. So that's actually a golf shirt. That's a golf shirt you're wearing, Andy. Yeah, I know. And, no, I'm, um, a, I'm a big fan of the One of the great Andy stories is when we went to the driving range and Andy was still, you know, it might have been six or, six or seven months ago, and Andy was just <laughs> learning how to swing the golf club. And um, we are all there, and uh, Andy manages, because his swing is, is not particularly smooth, it's quite disjointed, Andy... Went all the way back up to the top of the backswing, picked his nose, re, 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 reattached his hand to the club and then continued to carry on. Um, it's the all-time cracker from Andy, uh, the disjointed nose picker. Well, I think that is... <laughs> Ask that about preposterous it. Preposterous. Ask that about it. He swears by it. Oh, look, maybe it did happen. I'm a gangster. DGAF on the golf course. I do what I want. Yeah. Um, so what are we what are we thinking today, boys? What are we what are we picking? I like I'd like to speak about Japan if I'm honest, but you can speak about Japan. Yeah, Origato. You've been to Japan once. I've been in Japan two or three times. I've been I've been once Very or twice. <laughs> All right, so uh, we'll get back to that at the end. We don't like the loose end, so we'll get back to it. Uh, now onto our domestic story. It's the uh, bushfires. Who's yeah. So that's my story. I'm doing a domestic story. I think I'll take the domestic story maybe each week, or we'll see how we go. Mm. Anyway, so there's been really bad, serious, quite sad bushfires that have been uh, ravaging New South Wales and Queensland over the past week or two. Um, the interesting thing about the bushfires this this season is that this is the the bushfires uh, and politics relationship has changed. Where previously it wasn't. The bushfires weren't weren't a political issue, um, and only to some extent you might say through funding for like fire services and stuff like that. Um, but this year they became a really serious uh, political issue. Um, one because of the extent of the bushfires this year, which were uh, significantly more damaging in the small period of the bushfire season we've had so far than than previous seasons, and we'll get into that, but. Also because of the increasing rhetoric around climate change. Um, so there's been a lot of... Uh, it's, it's The bushfires have been tied politically this year for kind of the first time uh, ever. Now, as of uh, today, Sunday today, when we're recording this, there are 62 fires burning across New South Wales and 35 of them have not been contained. That's as of 5pm. Six people have died and 476 homes have been destroyed in fires throughout New South Wales since the start of the bushfire season, according to the New South Wales Rural Fire Service Deputy Commissioner, Rob Rogers. Now, <clears throat> compare this number of 476 homes destroyed uh, until today to the just 37 homes that were destroyed all of last year's bushfire season, right? That's mainly over summer when it's the hottest. Um, and in the previous most severe bushfire season, which was 2013-2014, 248 homes were lost over the entirety of the period, which is about half of the tally where we're up to now. We're not even into summer. Yeah. Okay. 
So there's two different issues I, I want to break down, but uh, there's actually, I want to introduce the two different perspectives that people have taken. One of the climate skeptics and liberal national government, and another one of, uh, let's say, climate change advocates. Okay, so climate change skeptics, liberal national government. Barnaby Joyce came out and said that the Greens, he kind of blamed the, the extra bushfires this year on the Greens. He said, or Greenies, they kind of use that term interchangeably for people with environmentalist agendas. So Mr. Joyce said that the Greens had increased the bushfire threat because of the party's opposition to hazard reduction burns, particularly in national parks. Quote, the problems we have got have been created by the Greens. We haven't had the capacity to easily access hazard reduction burns because of all the paperwork that is part of green policy. We don't have access to dams because they've been decommissioned on national parks because of green policy. Deputy Prime Minister McCormack said, quote, uh, people don't need the ravings of some pure, enlightened and woke capital city greenies at this time when they're trying to save their homes. Uh, now, just an interesting point. So we're all on the same page in terms of the, the jargon. Uh, while some people use the terms interchangeably, hazard reduction is done ahead of bushfire season to reduce the intensities of fires if they do happen through measures like controlled burning, mechanical clearing, like slashing undergrowth, or even reducing the ground fuel by hand. That's like picking up leaves and sticks and stuff. While back burning is done as a last resort to stop a fire that's already burning. So if there's, I think it means if there's a fire that's already burning and you think it's coming over this way, you quickly burn it, control it so it doesn't kind of contribute to the big conglomeration of bushfire that's 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 the dangerous one um one thing that's one thing i'll also add to that is that professor david bowman of the university of tasmania when talking about hazard reduction burns and green policies surrounding them said that ecologists were concerned that such high frequencies of of doing the hazard reduction burns um, so when you have a, a bush land area that you have to burn, say, once every 10 years or once every 15, 20 years, whatever it is, uh, ecologists are concerned that such high frequencies of burning for safety measures um, can have damaging effects on plant and animal species that require longer fire-free intervals co to complete their life cycles, right? So this is kind of the justification for the, for the alleged green agenda, which stopped... Um, the, the back burning and the and the hazard reduction from hazard reduction burns etc uh, from happening now the other side of the political aisle we find climate change activists I'm going to play you a clip from the green senator Jordan Steele John um, and he's his statement made headlines this week he's a senator from Western Australia he's actually only two years older than you born in 1994. Um, and this is what he had to say about the both the Liberals and the Labor Party. Challenge. How dare any of you suggest that in this moment, at this time, it is appropriate to be prosecuting a piece of legislation with the aim of propping up coal. You are no better than a bunch of arsonists. Borderline so that's what Jordan Steele John got in trouble for this week, labelling uh, the Liberals and Labor Party uh, government officials as, as no better than arsonists, right? Um, but further, not to, not to label all people, you know, who, who are on the climate change activists, like, you know, just throwing around names. So this is interesting. 
Uh, Greg Mullins, who's a former fire and rescue commissioner of New South Wales, proclaimed a, quote, new age of unprecedented bushfire danger had arrived courtesy of global warming in action. He said just one degree temperature rise meant that the extremes are now far more extreme and it's placing lives at risk, including firefighters. This week's catastrophic fires are exactly the type of disaster that emergency leaders and climate scientists have been warning about for decades and the summer hasn't even begun. Senator Di Natale from the Greens sparked a row on Monday, a row, a row, some people say it differently. Uh, it's, it's row. When he said, every quote, every politician, lobbyist, pundit and journalist who has fought to block serious action on climate change bears responsibility for the increasing risk from a heating planet that is producing these deadly bushfires. Now, from the commentary I've read, most people would say, most people agree that it's not climate change that starts the fires, right? It's it's combination of, it's hot weather, it's wind, it's sometimes deliberately lit. Um, the link that's being made to climate change is that, one, the fire season is longer than it used to be, so it starts earlier and finishes later, which gives, let's say, less time for um, backburning, hazard reduction, etc. Um, and that also the, the fires are, are more intense. Um, now this is on top of the, the reason, one of the other reasons why the drought, why the bushfires are so intense this year is because of the prolonged drought that Australia has been experiencing over the past year, right? So there was not much uh, moisture at all in the ground um, and it was very dry. So that, that's perfect bushfire conditions. And then a lot of people who are on the climate change activists would side that the, say that the drought itself was a, a product of, of climate change. Um, and, uh, and so that's, that's where we find ourselves today. Now, the first thing I actually do want to talk about is that um, the, the Deputy Prime Minister McCormack uh, said that we don't need to be hearing from the kind of holier than thou lefties at a time where people's homes uh, are burning. And it's kind of a similar point that gets made whenever there's a school shooting in America that this is not the time to talk about guns. Now, I don't actually really agree with that. I think you should kind of be able to talk about it as it happens. Um, and I don't really understand why, why you shouldn't. I mean, it's not like you would, wouldn't talk about economic policy if there's an economic collapse that's happening. That's the first point I want to throw to the floor. What do you guys think about that? No, I think that's wrong. I think, I think that's fair. Um, I think, um, you know, if... If there is an actual political element to this and there is kind of a, the extent to which government intervention or otherwise has contributed to this, these fires, it's only the beginning of the fire season basically anyway. And even if it wasn't, even if, if it was right at the end, I don't think, you know, there's no time like the present. There's no real excuse, particularly if you are a, a senator or you are someone who's being paid on the taxpayer's dollar to not represent the taxpayers throughout the whole year. And I understand it is a, it is a sensitive topic and you should definitely approach the topic with a, a degree of sensitivity and emotional awareness considering kind of the, the state of affairs, particularly people's homes are, are being lost, properties destroyed, etc. Um, but no, I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. And any points on that? Um, no, I, I totally agree with you. That I think if the issue is as pertinent as it is, um, you have an obligation to talk about it. I feel like... Like people want to address it, should want to address issues rather than sweeping it under the rug because it's too taboo. I think that's childish. Sure, I don't like the censorship aspect of it. Now, the second point and the more media point is: uh, is there 
I, I can imagine what Alex might say. Is there a, is the severity of this season's bushfires linked to climate change? Alex? My understanding of, because obviously this is not the first big lot of bushfires this year, basically California had an enormous fire season. Well, basically there was just a bunch of massive fires. Um, and it appears to be that there is a common denominator. However, so let's just say for, say for the sake of the argument that climate change does contribute to to um, these fires and that they're making it worse. Man-made climate change, sure. I would say that's something that, you know, the whole world would have to contribute to find a way to reduce emissions and to get behind. So in terms of an actual cohesive response to climate change, um, that's not something we can really do for this bushfire season, nor is it something we could probably do for next bushfire season. That's something that we could maybe aim for by, if we're doing this whole um, net zero by 2030, we could maybe do that. But the far more, issue, far more pertinent and the far more pressing thing, even if we assume that, that's, um, that that has something to do with it, would be to say, well, what are the actual practical, tangible things we can do right now to reduce the severity of the bushfires next season? We're going to have to look at the way in which um, large areas of national parks are kind of um, immune from hazard reduction measures and the ways in which um, various policies surrounding the management of the parks particularly and um, kind of alleviating the, 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 the tinder and the, the undergrowth has impacted these fires as well as um, the way in which we are directed resources towards fighting slash um, preventing. preventing them. So I would say, even if we assume that climate change has got something to do with it, there's far more pressing and I would say far more practical things that we can do right now um, to help reduce the severity of these burns. Things that we saw in, in America, basically the same thing was happening in terms of the management of the forests, the management of the, of the parks. You weren't allowed to clear it. There was zoological concerns, ecological concerns, which prevented people from going into backburning, prevented people from clearing sure. undergrowth and I stuff. Think, I think you'll find that actually most people are going to agree with you on this point. And that the contention within this topic over recent weeks has been about the link to climate change and the link to energy policy, the link to burning coal and fossil fuels, um, much more than it has been about bushfire kind of regulation, because I think both people like, actually, we need to fix that up. And I think that's bipartisan agreement. Um, would you, what would you say in terms of the link to climate change and should that be influencing energy policy? My understanding has been, so, and look, uh, you know, I'm not going to pretend I'm an expert, but my understanding has been, and this is kind of, uh, up until very, very recently, my understanding was that even the very, very progressive green aspect of the, the media weren't at all trying to link extreme weather events and climate change. My understanding is that even if you can prove the um, kind of the, the one degree warming or the 0.25 degree warming that they're claiming has already happened and that we're moving towards one degrees, um, there is actually no link so far, no scientifically tangible link between extreme weather events and climate change. That's been my understanding. I'm not, I, perhaps the, the consensus has changed, but up until very, very recently, my understanding was that even very, very kind of progressive environmentalists have not been asserting the claim that there is a link, a tangible link between extreme weather events and, and climate change. Yeah, also on that, um, considering that last year, as you said, there were only 37 homes destroyed, I'm not sure how in one year we've had such a massive increase. In, I'm not sure how you can say 
that's completely on uh, emissions policy. Nobody said it was completely. Well, on well, how, how that's like how climate change has become so much worse over a one-year period that 440 more homes have been destroyed. Well, Andy, I don't want to come back on you, but I think you're mixing up what they're saying. What they're saying is that it would have been a bad fire season regardless. What they're saying is that it's particularly bad because it's been, um, because it's, it's been encouraged by, by climate change. And that's what they say when a, and a slight increase, which is what it would have been since last year, on the average temperatures or the means would have a big increase uh, or have a big difference at the extremes and that's just a statistical okay yeah okay yeah you're right i think i I think it's very very difficult for us to be able to narrow down one factor because considering the the ways in which bushfires are started and propagated is ultimately going to be a combination of weather and management so the extent to which you can really chalk it up to one or the other is almost always going to be the climate change activists would suggest that the weather's inexorably linked with the climate inextricably inexorably I'm not sure if that first sure yeah I, I understand that yeah but that, that but can, can would they be able to give a percentage and say well we can absolutely chalk up th- these bushfires were 95% caused by the the weather compared to 5% mismanagement like I'm saying it's very very difficult to put a number and for them to say to be championing the that it's entirely, basically... Um, oh, I don't think, think they're saying it's entirely, but the, 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 the real pressing issue is, is not the management, but the climate change. I think it, it's difficult to draw that conclusion. Well, but when you have... I think it's important that we, as Dougal said before, we don't put everyone that's on the, like, for climate change policy uh, enactment, that we don't put them all in the one basket. Like, as you, you'd have, like, the senator who said... That people that the government and la- liberal and labor are arsonists, like he would have a different op- opinion than I'd say most of the um, people that are for this climate change policy enactment. So I think that some of them, like the extreme ones, who are saying that it's primarily mismanagement, um, I don't want to dismiss the idea that it could be that, but it does seem a little bit silly. Um, and for the rest of the group who's a little bit more uh, central, I would say that... Um, I lost my train of thought, actually. Okay. Well, keep keep the centre in mind. Keep the centre in mind. Alex, I think that basically finishes the book Bushfire Story. Yeah, it's obviously it's a tragedy and it's an awful thing, but um, you know, we, we, we when we have situations like this, we have to be looking at ways in which we can mitigate that, if that's... Reducing emissions, so I'm I'm open to hearing it. But well, I think we found ourselves actually on the side of Dean Natali in the talking about the issue, wanting to talk about it openly instead of like withholding the conversation for a later date. And I think we found some mixed opinions about the link, the climate change and bushfires. Yeah, obviously, you know, we should go forth with a degree of scepticism, as always. As concerned citizens. Okay. What what happened in Bolivia? Now, Bolivia. Bolivia. You wouldn't believe it. Live in Coop. I don't believe it. Bolivia. So, Bolivia is a nice little country in the middle of... um, Europe? No, South America. South South America. It's caught in... I'll I'll get the map up. Um, What's next to? I think it's Uruguay, Peru... Let me... 
say probably Uruguay Brazil. Uruguay sounds like a European country. Yeah, so it's right next. Sorry, Peru, Paraguay, Chile, and Brazil, basically. Um, its administrative capital, La Paz, sits on the Andes, Andes Altiplano Plateau with snow-capped Mount Ilabani in the background. Okay, so what happened in Bolivia? Well, it's a it's a long story. It's a good story. So Bolivia's president, what was strap on it? Ex president now, Evo Morales has been overthrown in a military coup on November the tenth. So that was a week ago today. He's now in Mexico. He has fled to Mexico. Um, sinking Coronas on the beach, I bet. He's sinking Coronas. And he has been ousted by what has been described as a right wing with elements of fascist uh, kind of uh, military-backed coup with a Christian tinge to it. So it's interesting to see the Christians or alleged Christians are um, engaging in coup d'etats. Um, he is the first indigenous president. He was the first indigenous president of Bolivia and the face of the movement for socialism in 2006. So he's a pretty radical far left wing operator who has um, kind of vaulted to power in 2006. And there's been a bit of drama in Bolivia in recent weeks and it all it's it's. It's been there for a while. There's been undercurrents of it. But basically what Ava has done and has done previously, has he's begun to seek to nationalise a bunch of the key industries in Bolivia so as to not be kind of raided by these transnational corporations. So he's, he's put forward... Sounds this. a bit like um, Chavez and Maduro. The boys, yeah. Um, Neighbours. That's a, that's a type of Neighbours TV show I would watch. Now, one of the, one of the really interesting things about Bolivia is... Um, there is about 70% of the world's lithium in Bolivia. Now, lithium... I've got a buddy who loves lithium stocks. They make the batteries, the, like electric batteries, I think, out of lithium-ion batteries. Do you want to do the story? Let him, let him comment. Come on. Mr. Strop Monster's back. <laughs> okay, so, and I, I was actually going to give a little bit of a spiel on lithium, if anyone's keen. I've actually got is that a high? Well, Did I steal your thunder? No, you didn't. Bolivian lithium gained value thanks largely to California air quality policy. In 1990, the Golden State basically forced the auto industry to produce battery electric vehicles. So as a consequence, as you said, Dougal, because of the uh, reliance of these uh, electric batteries on lithium, the value of lithium skyrocketed and the biggest beneficiaries were the Bolivians. So there's about 70% of the world's lithium in Bolivia. You best right? believe it. You best believe it. Now, obviously, that's an incredibly valuable resource, particularly to growing um, uh, electric, car industry. electric car industries, renewable sectors, um, particularly amongst kind of upper middle class, which you see a lot of in America. Okay. So... Energizer Bunny is loving it. That's what Tesla uses, lithium-ion batteries. So they often refer to the lithium triangle. So it is the vast area of lithium-rich salt pans in the Andean high desert that overlaps Argentina, Bolivia, and Chile. So that's just an interesting byproduct. It's important to remember that there's almost always an economic underpinning or an economic backstory to a lot of these revolutions or coup d'etats, which on the face of it seem as if it's just kind of a people's revolt. But as we've often discussed... Um, Revolutions are often led by intelligence agencies and intellectuals. I'm waiting for the. Um, I'm waiting for when you tell us about which deep state actors are involved. Oh, well, we don't. We don't uh, really know yet. We don't really know yet. But you know, revolutions. Wild guess. 
aren't made in white gloves. I think that was Lenin. What did you say? Revolutions aren't made in white gloves or something like that. What does white gloves mean? Means like you got to get your hands dirty. Even though like you have the intellectuals who lead it, you got to get people that get their hands dirty in the revolution. Uh, made in dirty gloves. The um, not made in the world. The white gloves. Even if you go in with white gloves, they ain't coming out white. Then you're gonna get some dirt, some blood, and some sweat in there. Okay, so there was an election held in Bolivia on the 20th of October last month. Now there was massive drama surrounding the election because although. Um, Morales was declared the winner. There was a whole bunch of alleged tampering in the voting process, um, and he basically declared himself the winner of the election without the, despite there's being a huge gap in the updating of the polls and whatnot. So the OAS, which is the um, an organisation which looks at elections and ensures that there's kind of um, made sure that the the process was fair and just. Um, said that what they say in the four factors review technology chain of custody integrity of the tally sheets and statistical projections irregularities were detected ranging from very serious to indicative of something wrong this leads to the technical audit team to question the integrity of the results of the election on October 20 2019 so <clears throat> the, the actual the real guts of it but in, in, to give a five-word summary, the OAS report suggested there was quite clear manipulation and serious security flaws in the election. So a lot of people were saying that this was an unjust election in the process of itself. Now, interestingly, Morales was elected in 2006, and at the time, in the Bolivian Constitution, it always said that you could not be re-elected. Basically, you serve one term. I think it's one term or two terms. Now, he is now about to serve his fourth term. Okay, now the reason is because whenever he gets re-elected, he then amends the constitution using the high court, um, who are apparently friends of Morales, um, to ensure that he's able to stay on for another term, basically. So, Donald Trump has weighed in. And this is interesting, because this could be a case of good Trump, bad, bad Trump. Quote, after four, nearly 14 years and his recent attempt to override the Bolivian constitution and the will of the people, Morales' departure preserves democracy and paves the way for the Bolivian people to have their voices heard, Trump said in a statement. Now, what Trump is referring to is what the New York Times described as, quote, with the constitution preventing him from seeking another re-election in 2019, Morales called a referendum in 2016 that proposed allowing a second consecutive re-election for the president and vice president. Now, this was rejected on a referendum by the people, okay? However, Morales' party convinced the Constitutional Court to rule that his candidacy was legal, saying term limits violate a citizen's human right to run for office. So obviously that's kind of a legal, print, uh, legal principle and that involves a whole bunch of jurisprudence and we're not lawyers, but, you know, interesting side note. So then, a lot like a Gandhi. It sounds a little bit like a spin. <laughs> But um, the opposition has called Morales' presidential candidacy illegal. Um, and a senator woman, um, in, after the Morales has been essentially kicked out, has um, the opposition leader has decided that she's now the president. Now, um, obviously Morales will have something to say about it, and he has. He wouldn't like it. He didn't not, like not it. One bit. And his reaction is exactly what you'd expect. He said, quote, This is the sneakiest, most nefarious coup in history. My favourite is him saying sneaky. Sneaky. Sneakiest, uh, I think, it doesn't sounds, get a big enough It sounds like run. something that Donald would say. Sneaky and nefarious Democrats. 
So Senator uh, Janine Anez of the centre-right party, Democratic Unity, is currently the interim president in the unstable post-coup government in advance of elections. So we have to remember, and what's important to remember... So she is got the backing of the military. Basically. Basically. Now, a key, key factor, and this is why I think the economics is always important... Now, so he was elected on a very shaky election in October 20, okay, which got a lot of people calling it into, into question about the legitimacy of the, of the election in general. However, Morales on November 4th decided to cancel the December 2018 agreement with Germany's ACI Systems, Alemania, um, in regards to a lithium export deal. So he's basically said, at this point, Morales was basically ramping it up and he's saying, okay, we're just going to nationalise the whole thing now. You know, uh, we, we're going to control what goes out. Um, and to be honest, we're not really having a bar of anything that you uh, greedy TNCs want to do with us. So obviously you've got that on November 4th. November 10, the coup happens. It's not, I don't think it's particular. it's a coincidence. Um, headline reaction, Dukes? Mate, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, I'd love to see the evidence and I'd love to see the... The, the cables and the transcripts and stuff, but it would not surprise me one bit. I mean, one of the things I think that's interesting is like, well, is there justification for the coup? Well, like, maybe it's hard. how do you justify a military coup ever? Um, it seems like there's there might be a hundred con- countries where you could probably justify a coup, um, but we only do it, it only happens occasionally. Um, and when it is done, it's done in the interest of the people, but why didn't it, why doesn't it get done in all the other countries and it seems like the economics might be the the, the deciding the factor thing. and um it would not surprise me if there was significant transnational military involvement let's say um or you know just a backing that uh, a, a blank check that says if it goes um haywire like we'll we'll fund you or we'll send people over we'll we'll do whatever um and it's, the, it's those exact type of little countries which people have kind of heard the name of, but they don't really know that much about it, Where, but often very rich in, in some in like natural, natural resources. resources. Yeah. That are the ones who just... I reckon if you made... I reckon if you did uh, like, a, like a study of like... I don't know how you do it, but like small countries high in national resources um, with... Attempted con- coups. Attempted coups. It would be... You know, with su- suspect foreign intervention, it would almost be, I think, always well, well, high natural resource countries. High natural resource, low low standard of living, low level of education, number of coups, low level of interaction with America, with American people, so the American people don't really know about it. Yeah, country. for sure, for sure. Um, and I mean, I, I assume most people would think Paraguay and Uruguay. Are basically, I thought it was in Europe. I thought it was. That. I thought it was in kind of like the the Balkans type area. Yeah, Eastern Europe. You know. Yeah. Um, somewhere around where Franz Ferdinand got capped. Yeah, somewhere around there. <laughs> but uh, no, it's in South America. It's actually pretty, pretty much the central aspect of South America. Now, there's a couple of things that, that we have to consider. He, this is yet another one of these South American countries which has been essentially run by a, a socialist, by a socialist government. The standard of living has not really massively improved as far as we can tell. It's yet another example of trying to nationalise uh, the national resources. Um, but is Trump wrong in his assessment? Number one, even if he is, we've seen him, he has 
although he is kind of semi he's anti-regime change in Syria, he was more than willing to say and put his feelings out there in terms of how he wanted Maduro gone, another country incredibly rich in Venezuela uh, in natural resources. He's then put his hand in the ring again with Bolivia. Is Trump sticking up for the kind of capitalist principles and a desire to improve the lot of the people? Or is there, and I know we, don't, we really don't want to think of it, but we should entertain all options and then what we pride ourselves on, is Trump channeling some of the establishment, deep state um, sentiments when he does say things like, um, he's happy that the leader is gone? Because remember, he was, dem- although the election was shaky, he was previously um, elected um, a number of times, all democratically. Um, I think we can't, it's hard in Australia to point out where the line is in the sand where you say a coup is justified. Um, but I think if we take into account, even though it's not completely confirmed, but pretty likely that this election was rigged or at least not gone through to its nth degree, um, I think we can say that it's not a democratic election. I feel as if, even if, even if uh, Morales, Morales, homeboy, he had a, he had a cutting jawline. Um, Morales, even if he would have won or he may have won, I don't think we can say he was elected off democratic principles. And then from then on, I think you get closer to a justification. Um, I would say. It's probably a little bit of bad Trump, though. A little bit of bad Trump, where... Uh, I, 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 let me rephrase that. I think I think there is a difference between him being able to say that he's happy that the leader is gone, and there's a difference to that and him having these capitalistic deep state uh, intentions. I think that we need to take the comment on face value of which Trump said, where he said he's happy he's gone, Um I'm not sure if that means he personally would justify that military coup. I think it probably would. But um, I think it is a little bit of bad Trump, even though it's a little bit sketchy at the moment. I think it's a little bit of bad Trump. What do you reckon, Dukes? Good Trump, bad Trump, separate issues, can't relate them. Uh, well, I think if, as far as we know, face, va- face value, America wasn't involved in the coup, right? So I think you, I think you're very much allowed to say if you're not involved, or at least you're putting up the face that you're not involved, that you're happy somebody is gone, right? So let's say there was a military coup in not comparing the countries, but in in where there's previously some type of authoritarian dictatorship, there's a native military coup. I think you can say that that they're gone, and that might even be a good thing. The the thing that would I think. The thing that would change that, or the thing thing that would make that more complicated, is if you actually did the coup and then you said, it. "Well, you find um, the coup." Or... Yeah, and so I think if Trump maintains that he wasn't involved, I think I think he's 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 allowed to say that. Um, but I I don't like the idea of even getting involved. Even one thing I'd say is that it, I don't really care that much about. Like you just you just should be so careful before you get involved in another kind like deciding who another country's leader is like, even if they're not even if their elections were shaky even if there were even if there was an authoritarian person who came through a revolution I mean it doesn't mean you should do a counter revolution, um, I think Trump is 
probably fine there. But as well, it can be very difficult to really assess where what Trump actually thinks. I mean, one second you get Trump saying he's going to send the the fire and the fire and the fury at North Korea, and the next he's going on huge little walks with Kim Jong Kim Jong Un, or you know he's one time he's dro- dropping you know fifty six Tomahawk missiles on on a Syrian army base, and then next he's he's pulling U.S. troops out of Syria. Um, I would be surprised. I I don't know if, if Trump has a plan for South America. Uh, and if he does, I don't think we know it. Um, and so judging this one is very difficult in that context. But so far as we don't know if US is involved, I think he's probably okay to say he prefers the new leader or the new government than the old leader. For sure, for sure. And I think, um, you know, uh, even if even if the, the CIA did finance or, or, or assisted in it, the CIA operates with such a degree of autonomy and independence that there is absolutely no guarantee that even if Trump, um, even if they did finance or operate or, 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 or um, assisted in the coup itself, that Trump was across it or okayed it. Now, you would hope to think that there would be, because he is the commander-in-chief, but obviously the CIA, uh, to some degree, operates entirely autonomously of, of both the people. Like when you have situations where the the CIA or the NSA are spying on its own citizens, obviously you would hope that that doesn't actually get passed through the the, um, the government because you would imagine how much bigger that story, those stories coming out of WikiLeaks would have been had the NSA gotten the approval, say, of Obama or, 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 or Bush or whoever it was. You would assume that that would be kind of the, the big story. So even if it was um, the CIA was involved, there's no guarantee that Trump was, firstly. I think he's okay to, to put his to put his views out there, so provided that he's not actually providing um, the means or the or the ways for the for the coup to take place. Um, and I think you know it, the thing about this, and and the the most one of the most interesting things about the, the, the way for, for for me is that. You know, the, the, the left, the establishment left and the establishment right has never really seen a coup they didn't like um, because out of that coup normally arises some kind of America-friendly um, dictator who's more keen to do a deal on some oil or some natural resources. And obviously this is, in truth, looks like it could be one of those times where the what they call white gold, which is lithium, um, could be heading to the US. To yeah, the only other, yeah, other thing I wanted to raise is push back a little bit on the Andy's comment of um, the, the capitalist deep state greed. I think those two are very separate things because I think the fundamental principle of capitalism is two, two parties coming together for a voluntary trade. I think when we say the deep state and corporate interests, it's not actually two people coming together voluntarily. It's the combination of greed with, um, uh, with government force. So what that means is that there's, a, there's actually no consent involved in the interactions. It's greed accompanied by force rather than self-interest accompanied by consent. Or if there is consent, there is, it's heavily skewed and the, the, the tables have been turned in such a way that it's... Yeah. Which yeah. I think is entirely it's, possible. It's the forces of... Yeah, so I don't I wouldn't want necessarily people to get mixed up with, with um, capitalism and the deep state because I think that... The deep state only operates when there's significant government uh, mechanics of compulsion, which 
wouldn't actually be there in a pure capitalist state. Yeah, absolutely. So look, we'll see how the coup turns out. Um, Morales is still in, he's in Mexico at the moment, I assume, having a couple of mojitos on the beach. From where you'd rather be. From where you'd rather be, um, you know. I do, can I, I'd advise him, just chill out, bro. <laughs> Politics is a tough game. He's learned yeah. it the hard way. Chill out on the beach, get yourself a couple, a couple Mexican honeys and, and chill out. I'm sure he's got some, some zeros in the bank. I'm sure he can bring his family over. He'll be, he'll be sweet. That's what I'd tell him. I'd say, mate, just live it up. Find some some dime pieces down there. For sure, but um, you know, they're, they're, they're one of the interesting aspects of this story is the Christian element of this the right wing coup. So, for instance, the the senator who who became um, who has declared himself the president, is waving Bibles around the whole time, talking uh, uh, after the coup. So, I mean, I don't know what the the Pope has to say about it or what the Anglican Church, but they should definitely keep an eye on it because, you know, there may well be a, re- a strong Christian extremist. Was, was the coup like? Do you know anything about the coup? The coup itself? Was there any deaths? I actually don't know. I actually don't know. It's um, a mystery. It's a chance I wonder if card. there would have been a fight, like a, a, a battle in the palace. The, the, at, the, at the moment, at the moment, there is there are protests. So eight killed in Bolivia as protesters call for a return of ousted President Evo Morales. Um, but I don't think because you wonder how a coup actually works. Do you know what I mean? Like, have you ever imagined it and thought is it like a bunch of army people like storming into the parliament and they put it, Morales in a bag and then like in a choker hold in a choker hold or like put him in a van or something like that or the actual like how it actually works. Do you think he would have security? I reckon there's just probably one guy walks in with about 500 guys behind him. The security guard's like, all right, we're outmatched. And one guy says, hey, look, bro, we're, we're, we're in charge now. And they say, okay, we're on your team. And well, if you've watched White House Down or Olympus Has Fallen, you know that they take out the security systems first so you don't know they're coming. And then they come in. And you're doing this thing with your eyes right now. It's freaking me out. Um, I'm crazed, bro. I'm crazed. Now, um, yeah, that'd be quite interesting, actually. Well, Mirage obviously had enough time to flee, so they must have known it was coming. I don't know if he's really fleet. Like, if you get done in a coup, like, normally it's they, they lock you up. It's This must be one of the nicest coups ever. Well, he probably had a friends inside the military. Yeah, oh, for sure. For sure. No, now, allegedly, I was, I was watching Grey Zone with Aaron, Aaron, Matt, uh, Aaron Matte, who is basically, I reckon he's my, one of my favourite journalists, could be my favourite. He was basically the guy, one of the guys, the key lead journalist who basically destroyed Russiagate from the beginning. He's actually a really progressive guy, like super far left. Like I think he quite advocates quite strongly for the Green New Deal, but he was one of the guys on the left who saw the the impeachment and the Russiagate as a sham for what it was, and he actually won an award for it. But he was saying on his show when he was talking about it, he's, he, he, he believes that the CIA was involved, um, but he also says that he heard rumours, or, or one of the guys on the show heard rumours, that the um, military men uh, personnel were getting paid 50000 bucks to turn on Morales. Oh, Where's the money coming from? Where's it coming from? So uh, That's a lot of money. 50G birds. 50G bangers. 50G smackers. It's years. Probably a couple of years worth of pay for Bolivia. For sure. For sure. Take so, look, you know, keep your eyes peeled. Keep your nose to the wind. We'll see how we go. Now, I think that basically wraps that story as far as I can tell. Are you happy with that? Well, uh, well, for those who are seasoned veterans of the show, you know that we don't leave no damn loose ends. And we are jumping back to the conclusion of... Hold on, I want to do... I I I hate interrupting you. 
Well, so you, you know, do it pretty often, so it doesn't. You know, much. sometimes it really, I it, it gets on my nerves. It does when people want to emphasize a word, and then they start saying the s on the end of that word differently, and they start saying it like. So when Andy goes, usually he'd say we don't leave loose ends, but Andy will say we don't leave loose ends. Ends. Does anyone else notice that some people do that? I think you're trying to draw a pretty sweeping general characterization on the basis of one of Andy's speech impediments. No, I'm not talking just about Andy right now. I'm talking there's a lot of people... I I know people that do it, and Andy's done it, and that's why it triggered me, because it's... Anyway. Well, uh, I'm glad glad that got out on the show that's supposed to be compact like your little Asian lady friend who you were talking about at the start of the show. The cleaner. Merrick Kondo. Yeah. Is that her actual name? Anyway, Andy, carry yeah, on. Look, I don't like to see you interrupted. You're on, you, had, you, didn't, you had your train of thought. You were moving ahead nicely. It was steam-powered on to the finish. Kondo or Marie Kondo. So, going back to your conclusion, Alex, remind the people what it was and justify it. My, my, my conclusion is Japan's the most underrated country in the world, I think. And let me tell you, this is, this is exactly why. If you're, gonna judge a, if you're going to judge a country on objective characteristics... Japan, like what? Uh, cleanliness, friendliness to the people, food, things to see, culture. Culture. I would say those are five. What about natural, like the wilderness? What about natural so features? Natural features. What about pillow girlfriends? Sure, sure. <laughs> what about cat cafes? Cat cafes, and, yeah, for sure. What about sumos? So, yeah, just <laughs> cultural experience. On those five things, Japan, I think would be in the top three on all of them. But if you ask someone, where is the one place that you would want to go in the world? Barely anyone says Japan. Therefore, by consequence, it is the most underrated country. Because there's no white girls in Japan. It's, well, it's usually white girls who talk about their travel stories and you're forced to listen. If you're a beta, you listen. If you're Chad, you, you don't listen. <laughs> the Chad still end up with the girl, don't they? Um, well, the thing is, I think if the thing is, if we had a most underrated country, I feel as if we probably wouldn't know much about it. So, like, that, like, what if it's hiding in plain sight? Yeah, what it could be? What if New Zealand's the most underrated country? No, but it'd be somewhere like Peru or somewhere like that, or Bolivia, where you'd no one actually really hears about it ever, but it's actually really quite nice. Okay, but if you're going to measure on the characteristics that I just said, cleanliness, um, friendliness, I've forgotten most of them. What about people's rights? I've, are they in Japan? <laughs> I don't really know. They're, they're, they're all right in Japan, I reckon. Food, culture, things to see. I think Japan beats them. I think, Ameri- three out of five. I think America is the most underrated because it's the greatest by so much. What? Why is America the greatest by so much? Freedom of the people, brother. Freedom of the damn well, people. Look at the NSA spying on them and stuff. So much the government can do there. That's the. Well, they can. That is the government. In fact, the government. <laughs> the government is doing the spying. It's the, it's the damn! It's the autonomy of the NSA. I think. I think I've. I've got that one. I don't think I'm. You don't have it. I think Mary Kondo might even be from Japan, and sh- she's contributing to the culture of cleanliness. Oh, messy room, messy mind. Thanks for that, mate. I think we're done here. I think we'll let you win. I'm too tired to put up a fight here. 
Um, so well done, Alex. You win jumping to conclusions this week. I'm not sure if it's a prize you can win or lose. I like to say it since I won we can last say week. Defended, defended, defended. I don't have victory. much bad things to say about Japan. I'd say China might be underrated. China might be underrated because nobody really even goes to China. People go to Japan. Like people go to Japan to skiing and even doing go to go to Tokyo. Nobody really goes to China that much unless it's for business. Cool study. I'd, yeah, hardly anyone though. Well, are you taking it? What's the population? <laughs> Chinese people. <laughs> I think that's unfair. I think you're sitting up the parameters. But I think it's a good point. I think Japan definitely right up there. Japan is sick. Like, I don't think anyone's ever had a bad time in Japan. That I bet. What if you get lost? Then Japanese people aren't usually good at speaking English. No, but they will. Just... They they will get on the train with you and make sure you get back to where you need to no, go. No, don't. I I I'd push back on the kind on the kindness. The the public transport. The people on public transport are not kind. When in regards to. Uh, I've heard Japanese people are exceptionally kind. But like like when you when you're packed in on a train or something. Or Give me an example. Like like when we were in. Japan, they have. A, they have. A, I think they have a serious um, rape issue in Japan. For public, on public transport. Oh, a sexual assault issue. Yeah. Like when, you, like when you go onto the subway in Japan, you could have everyone just rushes for the seats, and even if you have a, a lady standing there, no one will stand up for it. You've been to Japan, haven't you? Yeah, I have. So uh, it's first hand experience. I actually met uh, Cameron Dallas in Japan. That was pretty cool. I didn't know who he was really, but. I, I, don't know. I remember you telling me who he was, but I've forgotten him again because I didn't know who he was in the first place. Is he a SoundCloud rapper? No, he's one of the pretty insta-famous boys. <laughs> one of them ones, like like the Dolan Twins. I also one don't know who that is. Who are the Dolan Twins? They're all, they're all Instagrammers and YouTubers. And just, so they're like mates with Chris Paul and stuff? <laughs> no, they're not mates with Chris Paul. <laughs> mates with a certain actress who so didn't know who she was? So I, don't know <laughs> I think we're done here. Alex, you win. Victory, victory attained. Well done. Um, for those who like the show, make sure you like, comment, subscribe, share, all that good stuff. Um, if you want Dougal to stop flexing, put it in the comment section down below. Um, if you like us a lot, if you want to give us a little bit of your money, see our Patreon, all the links in to all our stuff, our social media and stuff is in the description. Uh, Thanks for being with us. We'll catch you next week with wrap number 30. Sounds great. See you later.